0: Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Now, I'm pretty sure this happened when I was young and somebody told me this joke. It went like this. Hey, Dale. Yeah? Pete and repeat were in a boat. Pete fell out, who was left? (laughs) Duh, repeat. Okay. Pete and repeat, we're in a boat. Pete fell out, who was left? And I'm like, I thought for a second, repeat. And they said, all right then, Pete and repeat, we're in a boat. Pete fell out, who was left? And I wish I could tell you that I quickly got that joke. But I would be lying. I was embarrassed, and I was now the brunt of this joke. Now, a challenge for any pastor is when preparing a sermon is is finding the audience and speaking to the audience about where they're at. And when speaking on a subject that Many in the audience know well, there's like this pressure I know that I have of saying, okay, how can I bring in a nuance without corrupting or or pulling apart what Scripture is actually trying to say, right? So trying to feed people who are well-fed. And trying to keep something interesting that maybe they've heard, or bring a, bring a new way to look at something that they've heard many times, because otherwise it's really easy for us to just totally tune out. But at the same time, there is this enormous way to bring people along who are in a different place with their faith journey, whether They've never heard of Jesus, whether they don't even know if they want to follow Jesus. They're trying to figure out where they're at and what they believe. And then there are children, and so how can you bring people on so, so we are going at, at the same pace and we're, we're understanding somewhere in a, in a similar way? And, and so I never want somebody new to the faith or here for the first time to think, well, good grief, I had no idea what that pastor was saying, so I just pretended to understand. Pete fell out, and who was left? So today I want us to remember that both Pete and repeat are in the boat, and I want them both to stay. As we grow in our faith, as a pastor or a teacher, or maybe, you know, an important part for, for us as we grow is to understand that we don't always depend on a leader, a pastor, a teacher to be our main source of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Maturity, maturity as a believer is understanding that you can go to the Lord on your own, that you can open up the scripture, that you can pray, that you can worship, and that you can find Christ on your own and still be fed when we're in a church or when we're assembling together in life groups or different things like that. Part of that is maturity. Maturity is feeding ourselves. And, you know, still, for me as, as a pastor, I still live, this week alone, I listen to two different um, sermons from a, from a pastor that I highly respect. I am still getting fed, but at the same time, I feed myself, just as we, as believers should. But as we also speak to those who are young, like Pastor Jaina, using ice cream and things to talk about the goodness and the extra the reasons of why we need to add to our faith, We need to speak to everybody. So I hope that makes sense as we are talking about remaining faithful or fruitful, remaining fruitful. And this might seem like, well, didn't we talk about the fruit of the Spirit a couple weeks ago? Yes. So we're kind of keeping with the same theme, but in a totally different way, in a totally different area of Scripture. Now, I have been thinking about this for a number of months, and it happened when I was reading the book of 2 Peter, Peter's second a letter to the group in Asia Minor. Now, before I get to that, like many of you, I am virtually blind without my glasses. Is there anybody here that you just cannot even drive without your glasses or corrective surgery or contacts or something like that? I see you. Well, I see you right now. At the age of 41, something happened to me, and I call it I call it, uh, how how does anybody read that? Because I started going up and down with my glasses trying to tell, exact. I don't know, it was 41, I just remember it. And some of you are going, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. And some of you are are thinking to yourselves, you're old. And um, if that's you, don't worry, you'll get there, my friend. (laughs) Without my glasses, I cannot see. I cannot drive. In fact, I would consider, if I was behind a bike, just walking, I would be considered dangerous. If I'm driving a vehicle without glasses, I am literally dangerous. So why does this matter? The disciple Peter says that if you do not practice the qualities that we're about to read and supplement your faith with them, he says that you are blind and nearsighted. Now, he's not talking about the world. He's not talking about people who do not follow Jesus. He is talking to people who call themselves Jesus followers. And he's saying these qualities that we're going to be getting to, if you do not follow them, you are blind and nearsighted. In other words, if you are a Christian and you are not practicing what he is reminding of us here. You are dangerous. You are dangerous to yourself and you are dangerous to others. And maybe you're thinking, well, Pastor Day, I think you're embellishing a little bit here. This seems like you're being maybe a little bit inflammatory here. I assure you that I'm not. The disciple Peter was so convinced of this that he presented them in his last will and testament. In chapter one, he tells two different times that he is about, his life is about to end. And when your life is about to end, you write the most important things in your life. And this is why in chapter 1, he talks about this is how you as Christians, me as a believer, we need to follow Christ. And here are the seven things that if you follow these things, you cannot go wrong. And then two, he warns of false teachers and false prophets coming in trying to lead you away. So I think that if we are going to look at Peter and what he is saying to us, saying to us as the church, We better understand how serious this actually is. So let's begin. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained the faith in equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who is it to? Those who have obtained the faith. These who are people who are believers. Oh, I'll just read with you up here. Great. You want to go to the next one, please? His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who call us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours, and I love this, and are increasing, they will keep you from being what? Ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Wow. For in this way there will be richly provided they will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is the word of the Lord. This is a powerful word friends and this is going to take us a little bit of time and not just today to be able to really dive into. So just as Jesus says in Matthew 15 he says A blind man will lead another blind man into a pit or into a hole. Meaning that somebody who does not know God cannot lead you to God. Now, it's interesting because this is an aspect of where people love to say, you know, judging. God says not to judge. God says don't judge people. I usually laugh when somebody says this because I'm, I'm thinking, what are you trying to get away with that you don't want to be judged about? I roll my eyes a little bit because I'm like, what, where is this even coming from? Because actually what the scripture says is, it says that a person will know another person by their fruit. And that only comes by judging. So if somebody is trying to tell you about God, but their life is a total disaster... They're going to lead you into a pit, the blind leading the blind. (laughs) Judging is more about, remember the scripture says this, it says, why would you try and take a stick or a, a big giant something out of somebody's eye when you got a tree in your own? What is he saying? You're a hypocrite. Don't start talking to other people until you take care of the sin that's in your own life. So when it comes to judging, don't be a hypocrite, Right? And it says that for how you will judge, that same will be judged according to you. So, when we look at people, when we are going to listen, we're going to open up our, our hearts and our minds to somebody, we should think to ourselves, what kind of fruit is coming from this person's life? And if it is smelly, like Pastor Jane did a couple of weeks ago, those smelly bananas that she hung them on my son's as a tree, we know that that is not what we want to replicate. And so maybe we shouldn't give that person so much time. It's kind of like listening to an actor about politics. Okay. Just so you know, I want you to know that the definition of an actor is hypocrite. Just so you know. That's the actual literal name for it because they're, okay, good. I don't think I need to go any more with that. So, I chose Pete and repeat story today because we are talking about the great disciple Peter. Come on. And he actually did jump out of the boat. So, it's kind of a true story. So, who is this Peter? Who is Peter? Because I want all of us to go together and know who this guy is. The disciple Peter is about the most ordinary person that is in Scripture, in my opinion. He is ordinary. And this is what gives Christians hope because God can use extremely, amazingly normal people to do spectacular things. That God can use me. That God can use you if we are obedient to his calling. We also know that he was a fisherman. He was a Galilean fisherman. We know that he was a family man with a couple daughters. We know that sometimes he had bad language. We know that he was a man of action. You when you follow Peter, you see he is a guy that is always the one to jump first. He is the one to run out in front because he wants to be there. He was passionate. Peter is one of the most passionate disciples. That there were. And he was even passionate when he was wrong. And this is something, one of the qualities and characteristics I like about Peter is that when he was wrong, he was all wrong. And I can relate with being all wrong. I know you can't, but I can. I'm really good at being wrong. And here's something else Peter didn't always get the joke, or he didn't always understand what was happening. And in fact, Peter got it wrong, it almost seemed more often than he got it right. So just take a look at this. He didn't understand that Jesus needed to die. So in the garden, when Jesus was about to be arrested, he cut off one of the guard's ears. What, to protect Jesus? God? You know? He didn't understand that this is what had to happen in order for things to be fulfilled. He betrayed Jesus three times after Jesus' arrest. Okay, clearly he did not understand Jesus' message. Peter wouldn't let Jesus wash his own feet at the Last Supper because he he didn't understand the message of Christ. And then when Christ explained it and said, Peter, if you don't allow me to serve you, you will have no part in the kingdom of heaven. And Peter then, of course, jumped all in passionately and says, then wash every part of me. When Jesus was walking on water towards the disciples' boat, it was Peter and only Peter who jumped out and started walking on the water until his faith faltered. Peter was included in the, if you want to tier disciples, the three that were closest to Christ. Peter, James, and John. Peter was there when Jesus was transfigured, and they're up on the mountain, and again, Peter has no clue what to do, and so he sees Jesus talking with God and, and there's all this, the great fathers of the faith and they're there and they're talking and Peter goes, I should make a, I should make a shelter for us to sit in. Who makes a shelter for Jesus to sit in, for, for God when there's all this glory happening in heaven, right? He missed it, he, he didn't understand what was happening but yet God uses a man like this. God uses a man like this to lead his church. Peter was the first to declare that Jesus was the Son of God. And in this mighty declaration, in the midst of all of his mistakes and the midst of him getting things wrong all the time, Jesus told everyone that he will build his church on this stone. Now, Peter's name was stone, it was Petros, rock. Now, a lot have been made about this statement. Catholics read this literally and say, Peter was the rock, therefore he is the one that, he's the first priest, and so therefore, he is the main speaker. And so when he passed, there, the, the Catholics and some others believe that there is the laying on of hands, which then passes it on to the next, which would be their pope, and the next pope. So each one is the next rock. So Pope Francis would be the rock. He's the, the place that, He's the person that God is speaking to for the universal church. Now, that is not what we believe. So, I I believe, and there's a couple ways that people look at this, but there is a much more important statement that Jesus was making about Peter's declaration of faith when he called Jesus the Christ. We know this from the entirety of Scripture Jesus is the rock. Okay? Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone. And Peter's name, he Peter is a stone. And this is why in 1 Peter 2, he looked at the church. He looked at Asia Minor. He looked at all the, the churches he was speaking to. And he says this. He says, We are all living stones. We are all living stones. Jesus said, I will build my church, and he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against me. In other words, God builds his church, and we are his living stones that he uses to will and to do his good pleasure. I really like Peter. Peter was where the party was at. I would have laughed at him all the time not at him, with him. You know, if Peter was here today, I believe that he would have been a hardworking man who worked with his hands. He would have had his own business. He would have been all in, working super hard. His language would have reflected that of the culture of being in construction. And you know what? He would have been a guy's guy. And that's what he was. Another important element of Peter is his ordinality. Jesus declared the declaration of Peter being someone great is a reminder how God works. And I know I said this again, but it's so important that God uses regular people like you and like me, that Jesus, like Peter, even with his imperfections, Jesus has chosen to build his church with super spectacularly normal people. And that's you and that's me. So, could you put up the picture of the map, please? So, as I already read, there, there are two groups that, that he's talking with. And this is Asia Minor. So, you can see it in 1 Peter when he names um, that group that is circled there. And then he also says, to those who have obtained the, the faith. And so, Peter is writing to these specific churches. He names them, and he says, so those who call Jesus their God. So what was their reality? What were they going through at the time? The first century churches in Asia Minor were dealing with governmental and religious hostilities, heresies in the church, people teaching false doctrines. They were teaching them to follow immorality and other beliefs. This is what he is teaching against, and this is what he's teaching for, and how to teach Christians how to live in a world that is against them and opposed to their message. This was their reality. This is likely written, we know it was written in the first century and it was between 64 and 68 AD. Now, I have another slide for you here and this is the why. This is the why and this is super important for you and and for me. So here we go. Why did Peter write this second letter to the church? And it's this everything here that I've written I'm not making this up. I'm taking it straight out of scripture, okay, in 1 Peter chapter 1. He wrote this so we would increase in knowledge. What you're going to find out is that knowledge is the most repeated word in this entire book. Eight times he uses this. It's super, super important. Two, we would become partakers in God's divine nature. By doing these things, we are becoming more like Christ. We are actually becoming part of the nature of God. Three, we would not become ineffective or unfruitful. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and be ineffective or unfruitful. So if I know that I can start applying these things and these attributes to my life, and I will become more fruitful, I want to pay attention. We would not become nearsighted or blind. I think we talked about that enough. We would confirm our calling. This is a confirmation of us being followers of Christ. We would practice these qualities. And by practicing these qualities, we cannot fall. So in other words, he's saying, show me somebody who fell deep into sin that were following these qualities. And, And Peter says, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Lastly, we would enter God's eternal kingdom. This is in in verse 11. If you are following these steps, if you are doing this, if you are reflecting this, you most definitely are heaven-bound. Important. These are important things. So the first one is virtue. It is goodness. It is about doing what is right. And, And we've said this before Doing what is right when nobody is around is the most important thing that you can do. Um, There was about three months of my life, and I don't think I've ever put this in a resume, that I was a Schwanz man. Yeah. Yep. It was only three months. It's all I needed. But I remember there was this moment where I went into this um, elderly woman's home, and I love I talking with people. Jane and I met in the restaurant business. We have management. We've worked constantly. We love the constant interaction of meeting new people. And so I was getting that a little bit, but I was, I was managing Tucci Bannucci in the Mall of America. We lived in Hutchinson, and it wasn't good for our marriage, okay? I had to make a drastic change, and I made it quickly, okay? And so, there, so I took this job just to be able to work closer and fi- until I got things figured out. And so... Here I am, a a Schwann's guy, meeting new people, and I go into this elderly woman's home to, I don't know what I sold her, something awesome. And there was an entire stack of cash, huge stack of cash. Now, at this point in our lives, I think we were making $35,000 a year. We lived on love, is what we said. But let me tell you, love doesn't pay the bills, children. Okay, so... (laughs) We, we, we weighed everything of saying, should we buy that? How much chicken can that buy? That's how, our, that's how our lives were. And so anyway, you know, there were temptations in our lives because we wanted to pay the bills. Anyway, I go there and there's this elderly woman who was blind and who had an enormous stack of cash on the table. And I went there and I gave her her food and I helped put it in her freezer because she needed help. And there we were. It was her, it was me, and a giant wad of cash. And I remember thinking to myself, nobody would know. Nobody would know. I know you wouldn't think that, but I did. And at that moment, I had so much empathy for this woman because I thought, how many people have taken advantage of this poor woman? How many people have taken advantage of her? And she just said, take what you need. Now, I can tell you that I was honest, I had integrity, but it's moments like this that test you and I. There are are moments, there are moments when this virtue becomes more than just a nice statement that it's good to say, but when it actually comes to practice, when you are alone and you're the last one locking up at work and you have an opportunity. When nobody's around and you know somebody dropped something and you could bring it back to them and you could turn it in, but instead you pocket it. it are, it's these moments of goodness that, that Peter is telling us this is part of what makes us attractive. This is a part that when we do this, we are partaking in the nature of Christ, it's more than just having good behavior, friends. This is about reflecting the nature of God who created us. When we, are, when we are being like Christ, we are reflecting him. We are becoming more like him. And this is our job. There's something else to this, and I hope, I hope this makes sense. It makes sense in our, our lives. Jane is in my life. Is that Peter was a rough guy. He came from a rough background. And when Jesus called him to follow him, Peter was still a rough guy. He was still kind of a good old boy. He still had that language. He still had some of that dark humor, some of, some of the things that, that had just been ingrained in him. But as he continued to follow Christ, as he became more like him and more like him, his life began to change. And all of a sudden, this thing of goodness and virtue began to take on a whole different meaning. And how do I know this? Well, if you read his first book, 1 Peter, one of the main themes across it is holiness. Is holiness on how we need to be people who are reverent and following Christ and reflecting who he is. And that is becoming holy just as Christ is holy. Now, what happens... When somebody who had a really hard life and God begins to do a work, it's many times the pendulum swing. In, in early Christianity, it's called a rigorist. It's somebody who, like, for example, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, that people who used to be the pagans who would sacrifice to other gods, that when they became saved— the pendulum swung. They were like, how can you Christians even dare to eat food that would be sacrificed to idols? Don't you know that these are demons and you're partaking with them? They were so passionate because the pendulum had swung. This is where they were, and now they knew. But the problem is, is that many times there are Christians, there are people that were raised in these homes of strict holiness, and of really, really strong behavior modification on how they're to behave. And it became the other side of the pendulum over here because Paul talks about freedoms. And they think, well, I can still be a Christian and I can still live like this. And so they go over on the other side. And Paul talks about this and he says, listen, friends. You need to listen to your conscience and do what is right. But if you, by all of your freedoms over here, are going to make somebody over here start to fall, you're in the wrong. You need to make a change in your life. And so we need to be able to find, as Christians, whether you're somebody who had a, a really hard past and God saved you because you became a new creation. Can I hear an amen? We got some new creations over here and then some of you over here going listen, I can still do this, I can still do this and I love Jesus. You need to be able to find and go, hold on, are you becoming the holiness after Christ? Is your attitude and is your mind in the right place because God is calling us to be virtuous. He's calling us to his goodness. He's calling us to the reality of who he is. So let's go. Let's go, let's start chasing after the goodness and the, and the virtue of who Christ is. Let's not go into this freedom of, look what I can get away with. I remember having this argument with my mom. I was, I was raised in a, in a very strict Christian home, and, and I just was like, I don't know. I don't know. I think we can still do this and still be a Christian. I think we can do this and I can still be a Christian. And I'm having this argument with my mom because that's what teenagers do. And my mom looked at me and she said, Dale, why are you trying to walk as close to to the border of where Christ is of not even being a Christian? Why do you want to walk as close to that line as possible? And I was so frustrated with her in that moment because she was right. She was right. I I was wanting to be able to follow my own desires and do what I wanted to do and be like my friends more than I actually wanted to follow Christ. part of my own testimony in my young adult years that kind of that conversation led to me getting to a point in my own life of grappling with my own faith in Christ and do i believe do i believe what i was taught what i was raised in or raised with and i struggled with this for quite some time i listened to people i listened to arguments debates. I prayed. I asked the Lord many, many times, and sometimes I was really frustrated, and I would just say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't know. I just feel like I have so much information. I don't know. But very, something very simple happened to me, and, and it changed me forever in my, my walk with Christ. I was having just this quiet moment with the Lord where I was just pouring out my heart to him, and I was just super frustrated, and and. I would love to say that, that there was a light, and there was this, oh, you know, all these the right sounds, and all the things were happening, and voices were coming, and there was trumpets, uh, but that didn't happen. <clears throat> but I will say that there was a still, small voice of the Spirit of God that asked me a question. And the question was this. It was, in, in my word to you, is there anything in there that hurts people? Is there anything in my word that causes hurt? Is there anything in my word that would harm in any way? And I I knew that voice was from God in that moment. And I just sat there. And it, it it was almost like God was just flipping the pages of a book and I was just showing all these stories and the scriptures were just quickly moving through my mind and through my heart. And all I could say, and this is going to sound super simple, so it's not going to work for those of you that that you need something more, but I'm just telling you what, how, how God worked in my life in this moment, is that all I could do was say, God, you are good. And I began to worship and I began to weep because God revealed himself as the goodness of who he is. His nature, the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. His kindness in Romans 2 that leads us to repentance, which is why I always say we need to be the kindest church. We need to be the kindest church because his kindness leads us to repentance. So the least we can do is reflect our creator. In this moment of, of Christ revealing himself to me, I began to praise him for his goodness. And you know what? If you're in this place in your life where you're trying to figure things out, I want to say something to you. God will speak to you with the words that you need to hear. This is what I needed, and God spoke to me with what I needed in verse 4, Peter says, Those of you who have become partakers of God's divine nature have escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. Make every effort to add to your faith these things. Now, this is my, my last story for us today, but when I think of what, what Peter is saying about escaping, escaping this world, I think of the movie Shawshank Redemption. Has anyone seen that movie? This is like a classic from, from the 90s. I actually, just this spring, I made, Jaina was gone because she is a rigorous and she can't deal with movies like this. So I, I had made Eden watch this movie with me because it, it's just such a powerful film and you've got Morgan Freeman narrating, so you just want to listen to that anyway. But Tim Robbins is, is the main actor with this. So here's an innocent man put in prison for the murder of his wife. And... He is there and, and there's a, a corrupt warden who's using the Bible to punish people and, and to do terrible things in the prison and to control the prison for his own benefit. And here is, you don't find out until the end of everything Tim Robbins had to do, this innocent man, to get out. You, you just, you, the, the movie goes on and it's not till the very end that it wraps around where you get to see everything that he went through to gain his freedom. And as Peter writes this, that that we have escaped the corrupt world, the filthiness of this world, and we've come out. And all I can think of is at the end when you're seeing um, Tim Robbins as he's pounding the septic system with the thunder and and the lightning and he's banging it and and then he has to crawl through this tight, tight, narrow tube for, I can't remember, it's like two or three hundred yards of people's sewage and he gets out and it's raining in the cleansing rain of freedom where he is obtaining his freedom. This is what it's like is that we have come out of the world that, we've, that we're getting the muck and the grime off of us and we're coming into the freshness and obtaining salvation of Christ. This is the old has become new. This is our lives and this is what Christ has to offer, that we take the corruption of this world and the darkness and the hate and the evil and we start to bathe in what Christ has given us and we a part of his nature and we become more like him. We have escaped this world, but we have scars. And I'm so glad that scars do not determine our future. Scars are reminders of where we've been, but definitely not a prediction of where we're going. And the scars of Jesus on his hands and his feet are a reminder of where he's been, and more importantly, that is a reminder for us of where we are going. Would the band please come up here? The band is going to, worship team is going to lead us in a couple songs, and I want to invite you to join in and worship. I believe that Our time in worship, our time of opening ourselves up to God is one of the best moments of refreshing that you can have in a week. I want to invite you into the presence of the Lord. I want to invite you to listening to what God is saying and to lift up your voice. Would you worship with us? Would you please stand? Friends, we are diving into the nature of Christ and I'm asking for you to partake his goodness with me over the next couple weeks. Will you do that? Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus. Lord, we know that we are a vessel that is broken. We are vessels that are in deep need of you and your restoration. We ask right now as we so are coming into this week, Lord, of not knowing what's in store for us, but you do. So, Lord, we ask that you come. We ask that you speak to us, speak to our hearts and our lives. And, Lord, I pray that not one person is able to leave here the same today. That not one person can leave this space without you making a change in their lives. In your holy name we pray, the church said, amen. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.